You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. Welcome back to Live Wild Radio. This is our second mobile episode. Last time we were in Las Vegas. And now we're in the booming metropolis of Aurora, Ontario. (laughs) Welcome, David Lee. Um, You've got two, well... Three, but two sort of official monikers. Okay. You're yep. the passionate paddler. Right. Passionate peaker. That's correct. So explain. Really, I started out as the passionate paddler because I've had a pretty uh, lifelong uh, love for canoeing, and that's where the passionate paddler came about. Uh, however, in the last probably about four to five years, I fell into winter camping and mountains, and hence the name Passionate Peaker. It was a friend of mine, uh, Laura Lee, that gave me the name. It was hilarious because they were just going off of the TPP acronym. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I think it has some real relevance because it has now become, I don't want to say competing passion. I'd like to say or a corresponding uh, passion, and it's for the love of mountains and for um, to doing, uh, get engaging in mountaineering been following you for the, about six months now uh, and, and checking out your latest tracks. Uh, pretty exciting, extreme, challenging tracks. <laughs> yeah. um, tell us a bit about starting from the Adirondacks when you first started or some of the big trips there. I was initially trying to get into winter camping through the hot tenting route. So basically getting a sled or a toboggan and getting a hot tent, which is a canvas tent, and then and, and using it with a wood stove. And I even had purchased it and I was ready. The only thing I didn't have was the toboggan. However, that winter, a friend had invited me on cold tenting trips, and I was reluctant, but... Cold tenting just being that uh, no heat. That, and exactly. So, uh, and could you even do a fire at nighttime? Or, you or? could, depending if, gotcha. if, it wasn't, if it wasn't windy and stormy, then yes, you could, you could have a fire. But it was, like you said, there was no other mm-hmm. heat source. You were the heat source. So I was a little reluctant on that because I was just even nervous about hot tenting itself and just trying to learn that aspect of it. And uh, it was weird. I did one hot tenting trip at the beginning of the year. And that winter of 2015, the rest of the trips were all cold tenting. And there was like, I think, three three more uh, that winter. And the last trip, which when he told me, why don't we uh, climb up Mount Marcy in the Adirondacks? And I, I didn't, I've heard about the Adirondacks, but didn't really know about them. Mm-hmm. And when he said Mount Marcy, I asked him, well, what is Mount Marcy, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, it's the highest peak in the Adirondacks in New York. And, and I'm you're like, like, fuck yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? I said, dude, you just got me going to your cottage doing cold tenting and yeah, you want to yeah. go up Mount Marcy, yeah. right? And I thought initially he was thinking, okay, maybe like we will work up to it, right? I didn't know his plan was to go there that that winter. You were actually afraid. I'm, I'm surprised based off of a conversation <laughs> yeah. yesterday because when you suggested to me my first track should be Mount Marcy, I told you to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> and then you did it. Yeah, I did do it. Yeah. So. I, you know, so I, I think you probably shared the same kind of fear and anxiety because when someone says it's the highest, yeah. you kind of think, oh my gosh, right? Like yeah. you, we're not going to even work up to it, right? Mm-hmm. And on top of that, it was winter, Right, mm. so I had not only the fact that it was the highest mountain, but now it's in the dead of winter. So I had a lot of anxiety because even the few trips that I did with him, I was still learning 
cold tenting techniques mm-hmm. and it, it was an eye opener i had some cold nights trying to learn how to what not to do <laughs> or pee in a bottle oh yeah <laughs> that is is challenging on its own yeah. like i'll tell you i'll tell you the first night that i went out with my friend andre it was minus 30 that night. Yeah. And I sl- so we slept know. outside his cottage. So he told me that that was the backup. If you're uncomfortable, then you can always go inside. But I, I, I stuck through it. And he also told me to try to pee uh, in a bottle. So I, like, I'm struggling, right? Like I'm, I'm dealing with his cold temperatures. I'm dealing with him trying to tell me to pee in a bottle. Like it was all coming at me so fast and quick that it was just mind-boggling, right? And I And get this, on top of all that, he says... We'll also simulate what happens if our air mattresses like deflate. So I think you guys know there's if you guys use air mattresses quite often, people have problems with puncturing it for one reason mm-hmm. or other. And winter is is a very challenging time to try to patch it, uh, fix a leak, right? So we took out the the air mattress, which was uh, Neo Air that I had, and we used just the Z Light, which is an R value of two point five. Mm-hmm. It's, it means that there's very little insulation, mm-hmm. and so we we slept on that. <laughs> yeah, just for for just for people to compare, yeah. winter time you want an R value at least a five. Yeah. Uh, so when when you're talking like a thin foam summer pad, <laughs> yeah, it, it, you're gonna be cold at minus thirty, especially. Yeah. yeah. So I had this cold, this start to creep down my back in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. and of course that tension made me want to pee even more. Mm-hmm. And part of me was like, I'm gonna hold it, right? But I had to pee, right? And trying like your body because you're so used to peeing vertically when you're in a horizontal position your body says i'm gonna take that sphincter and keep it shut (laughs) so it it, honestly it's a mind game between my body my mind and telling my sphincter to to release so i can pee in this Mm -hmm. bottle right Mm -hmm. and then of course your whole worry is not to pee in the sleeping bag at the same time that's what my friend andre said don't pee in your sleeping bag well dude of course i'm not gonna (laughs) want to pee in the sleeping bag but i don't want to pee in a bottle either right and so it was a struggle anyhow i did manage it was very difficult Mm. and i survived the first night so that led to me going to the Adirondacks and summoning Mar- M- Mount Marcy um, in March. Okay. That was 20, 2015. That's when I first started winter camping. So that experience, um, it was hard. We carried, we did things very wrong because we just didn't have the right idea and how people were doing things. And, but, but we carried all of our gear up to Mount Marcy. So we had like close to 50 pounds on our back. Mm-hmm. Right, with with crampons going up this uh, okay. side. And we went out through the backside. Oh, okay. So uh, anyhow, we made it. It was like 40 miles per hour wind. And it was like, and again, it was a minus 30 wow. morning. It was even a rescue going on at that time too. But we made it and I was ecstatic. And when I was up there, a light bulb went off in my head. And it reflected me back to a childhood dream, which many of my paddling friends probably don't know, is that as a child... I wanted to be a mountaineer. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I came over from Korea when I was two years old with my parents, of course. And, uh, you know, my parents were struggling with English and trying to get jobs and and trying to uh, take care of the family. There was myself and my brother. And so one of my things my dad would bring was like National Geographic from from, uh, work. Uh, Ones that people had finished and they were just leaving for the employees, right? So... I started to read about Edmund, Sir Edmund Hillary. I heard, read about different mountaineers. And in my head as a kid, I had this dream that I wanted to be a mountaineer. But then I realized how wrong it was to be a mountaineer in Ontario because it was very flat. <laughs> there, there ain't no mountains. Yeah. <laughs> There's no mountains. And uh, that's where, when I was on top of Mount Marcy, 
it kind of, that light bulb went on in my head and I realized, wow, a little dream came true that day. Yeah, you found your childhood. Yeah. Well, and, it, and yeah, and it, it's the thing that uh, while we don't have mountains here in Ontario, we're mountain adjacent. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because you got the Dax, you got the Greens in Vermont, which aren't really that good. But <laughs> uh, but then you got the Whites in New Hampshire. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Katahdin in Maine. Right. You know, so you got some some accessible, because of the winter conditions in the Northeast. Right. That are like full on gnarly alpine yes. conditions, even though they're not super high. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You don't have to be hopping on that plane to go out to BC or, yeah. right. you know, Colorado. Yep. Right. So you end up with these amazing weekend accessible right. adventures. Yeah. I know a lot of people go to La Cloche, yeah. right, nearby. So that would be the one closest by. But, and I haven't been okay. in the winter. And I know you have. Um, how, and I have been to Mount Marcy and, and yeah. I've done those. How different for our audience is Mount Marcy to La Cloche? Oh, it's a huge difference. Um, you know, um, La Cloche is, is the highest peak in Clarny. Mm-hmm. And it's something like, uh, it's under, I think, believe, believe it's around 700 meters. Um, yeah, it's high. like 21 or 2,200 feet or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's not very high, right? Whereas Mount Marcy is over 5,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are at, at the high end of Marcy, you are entering an alpine zone, mm-hmm. which means that even the vegetation there are just stunted because of the, 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 the conditions there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, you are going from, you know, if you want to compare it, the two mountains, you can say a big hill to uh, a pretty big mountain. Yeah. Right? Well, because the, the other thing that's most important isn't how high the mountain peak is. Right. But... It's how much elevation you had to gain exactly. to get there, right? Because uh, I, th- I think say Silver Peak, if I'm not mistaken, like it's only about like a six hundred foot ele- six hundred foot elevation right difference from you know when you, you from the bottom yeah from like the, the bottom of the trail right you know from so, like like David Lake from yeah there, yeah you know so it's not going up that far yep. gotcha. you know it's it basically it's actually I find easier. Uh, or less technical doing it in the winter. Right. Because, you know, if you've got a good snow base. Right. You know, because the trail up is it's kind gradual. of gnarly and rocky. Yeah. But uh, in the winter when everything's sort of flattened out right. because of the snow, it's just a slog. Yes. Yes. Uh, and now quite depending on which way you go up Marcy, it's the same thing. Right. If you go up the main trail, it's long and slow. Right. But if you come up the backside, like Schofield Cobble. Yeah. Uh, doing that in the winter because it's those big exposed slabs. Yeah. You know, uh, and there, there's a couple spots that are like legit avalanche risks. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, because it, it, when there's no trees, yeah. the trees are what keep the snow from falling. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it's, it, Interesting. I, it's such a fun playground. Yeah. The one thing that you've made a good point to, which I found out when I was doing my research and reading about mountaineering, like basic mountaineering, and, and, my friend gave me, now I can't remember from which mountaineering school it was, but it was a big um, online documentation about mountaineering practices. So he had me read it so that I got schooled on just some basic uh, mountaineering principles. Now, I knew a lot of cold uh, weather principles just from uh, doing late season canoe tripping and a little bit of, you know, uh, tr- uh, trekking in the wintertime. But the interesting thing is in the Northeast, they say the weather patterns there are so bad that because it's so extreme, it can go from a positive, Mm -hmm. uh, like above freezing to rain and then freezing, like, you know, drop 20, 30 degrees, right, Mm -hmm. uh, overnight. And they're saying that it's so dangerous. And that's why 
and I think you guys are well uh, familiar with that there's so many rescues mm -hmm. up in the Adirondacks because people think, oh, it's not that high. It's not that big. I can get there. It's, it's close. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. short little drive. Right. Uh, and they get caught up in these weather systems and, and there's a lot of rescues. Whereas out west, you've got these high, um, uh, big mountains, certainly a lot higher than out mm. east. But because you've got um, fairly stable conditions, so it's it's pretty much snow. You know you're going to get snow. You're going to probably get wind. You're going to get cold temperatures, but it's not going to rain on you. It's mm -hmm. not going to freeze. It's not going to get hot, right? So th in this manual, they were saying how much more difficult in terms of conditions these northeast mountains are compared to the nor uh, northwest. Yeah, well, one of, the, one of the interesting things you'll run into, and I always see this as a plus, if you learn to rock climb in Ontario on our limestone, right. Anywhere you go, you're going to feel like a rock star because right. everything is better quality rock than we have. Right. It's grippier. The protection, you know, goes yeah. better. Um, and if you climb, uh, you know, like the Northeast Mountains, right. like if you can deal Washington in the winter, uh, which in the course of a day, you know, you get basically can be warm and then cold and right. then freezing rain and then 100 mile an hour winds. Yeah. Uh, and it's steep, and then you might have an avalanche down Tuckerman's Ravine, yeah. and, you know, all of these things just sort of, like, happen, and they're all things that might happen out west, but right. they don't happen on the same day. Right, exactly. You know, and so when you when you can handle that, then you go anywhere else, and you're like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. Then, then the only other obstacle you have to deal with is just dealing with altitude. Right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Which, you know, uh, Catherine and I were down in Nevada recently. Nice. And... When the trailhead starts at eight thousand feet, right? Then you, <laughs> you know it's like you bend over and tie your shoes. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> like, like literally, you feel your heart like thumping in your chest yes. until it sort of gets sort of going. Yeah. Right. You know, your cardiovascular uh, yep. system gets going, yeah. and yeah. then it kind of settles in, and yep. um, you know. But but that initial, it's like you just move, and you're like. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. There's no oxygen here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then you know. Basically, that's the starting point, and then you're just going to keep getting higher from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, to your point, um, one lady was just commenting on my Facebook. She was saying about how you know I should be hiking up hills and stuff like that, right? And, and because I was, she was making reference to me doing a lot of cardio, and and I, I commented back, and and I guess a lot of people don't understand that, but at altitude, just like you said. Because you're getting less oxygen, your body natural response is beat, um, get the heart beating faster. Let's get the cardio. Let's get the blood going through the lungs faster, so we can pull in more oxygen. So, if you are going to be at higher altitudes, your body has to acclimatize right f to the lack of oxygen, and your heart will work faster. Mm -hmm. So, cardio is an essential part of being at higher altitudes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Definitely. like it, the the puzzle, like the physical puzzle, is right. you have to be strong enough. Right. You have to have the cardiovascular capacity to deal with the fact that, A, you're going uphill, which is more load. Right. And there's no air. Exactly. No oxygen. Uh, and so it, 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 how you prepare for any of these types of things, it's sort of doing something in the east, okay, you still need to have good cardiovascular fitness because it's hard. Right. You still need to have enough muscular strength to push your legs up the hill. Right. But then when you start to go at altitude, then it's a different... Yep. You add one more variable, yep. mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, and one of the one of the cool things, and th this is sort of that where the puzzle is never figured out, mm -hmm. right. right? And that kind of makes it cool, um, you know. Things like uh, there's been a bunch of research that ibuprofen turns out to help altitude sickness, like oh, reduce really? the effects okay. of it. Yeah, um, you know, being that we're not like like professional athletes mm -hmm. in any sort of sanctioned competition. 
Um, I always wonder how many like higher altitude mountaineers right. are taking EPO. Yeah. Because EPO basically is a hormone that yeah. increases your body's red blood cell yep. count. And in professional sport, that's cheating. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not cheating because there's no rule as right. far as, you know, mountaineering goes. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, if you could find sort of a permissive doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm feeling low. <laughs> Feeling low energy, Doc. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of thing that would actually have a tangible benefit. Uh, yeah. Because then your body just carries more oxygen. This is funny because I work in dialysis as a tech. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Guess what? We, our, our, our patients get administered EPO, yeah. which we, we call it EPO, uh, quite regularly because of their conditions. Mm-hmm. They need to help boost their, their red blood cells. So EPO is... is Widely accessible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but I have to be careful. Works at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know what? They uh, in the last. Uh, it's the funny thing is in the last few years, they have been putting in under lock and key. Mm-hmm. Now we haven't had any any incidents in our department with people, you know, it disappearing by you know accident. But um, they realize that it is a highly valued drug that could be sold easily on the black market. This is really impressive what you've done. So you started in the Adirondacks right. a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. But what I started to really watch was I think last year okay. you did the Adirondacks and you're backpacking it. Yeah. You're not base camping it. So this is some real hardcore sh- shit as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Um, and then and then you've done the White Mountains Presidential Range this year, yeah. uh, La Cloche Trail, and you vowed to do it, you know, in like the next number of days yeah. and et cetera. Can you talk about those trips? Because they, they seem pretty epic to me. What, what are your thoughts? Can you just talk about each of those? Sure. So the Adirondacks, one of the interesting things about the Adirondacks, as I started um, after my first trip there, I realized that there is uh, something called the 46. And there, they are the 46 peaks that are over 4,000 feet. And a lot of people uh, take it as a personal challenge to get to the summit of all 46 peaks. <clears throat> now, there's the summer one, mm-hmm. and there's also the winter one. Mm. And because I canoe in the summertime, my time in the Adirondacks have always been in the wintertime. So as I started doing some summits, I thought, why not, heck, do the 46 uh, winter summits? And, uh, I mean, all along... <laughs> Ever since my first summit on Marcy was this thought that, hey, could I pursue this mountaineering goal of mine, right? Because it, it just opened up this flame, right? This uh, light bulb went off, and I thought, maybe it's possible, right? And so part of the thing was, now I need to get some experience in the mountains, right? And uh, one of the things that I've I've also found out with mountaineering, unlike canoeing that I've done for decades, is that you need the physical training. I think we've kind of talked about that, right? Um, I've never physically trained for a canoe trip, no matter how difficult it, it, it was. And I've done some very difficult trips, right? Whether it's a long portage or bushwhacking. But mountaineering requires a different kind of skill set and, and conditioning because you're, like you said, you're hauling heavy packs up mountains, right? And and I also learned also the different techniques of how people would summit the, the mountains in the Adirondacks. They would take a day pack and they would rush up and do several peaks and then rush down with nothing more than like uh, a small pack with just the essentials. But because it's about seven hour drive from my place to get there, quite often um, I would do a multi-day trip and uh, I would haul our, all of our gear and we would get to some place where we could base camp. 
And the good thing about uh, the Adirondacks is that they have uh, the lean-tos, which is great because it does save a considerable amount of weight and space in your pack because you don't have to take a tent. However, you still need to take uh, things like a tarp just in case it's full, right? But we've, we've, we're able to eliminate some weight. But I still take a lot uh, of, of gear uh, as we go on these trips. And to me, whereas some people kind of look at the goal of, of their 46s just getting to the peaks, mine was oh, maybe twofold or maybe threefold. It was, it was also a combination of, of conditioning learning to uh, um, go up these mountains with a heavy pack and condition my body and also to experience what it would be like because mount real mountaineers go up with heavy heavy gear and i think you guys rock climbing you guys know how heavy that gear is right so you can imagine well, for Winston mount- carries it all for oh me. does he <laughs> <laughs> yeah i carry the water <laughs> <laughs> smart smart but you know how heavy that stuff is i mean there's no uh, ultralight you know, mountaineering gear or rock climbing gear. I mean, I think there are some stuff that are lighter get, are getting lighter, but really it's it's pretty heavy stuff, right? Because it has to be bomb-proof. And so I figured the only way I'm going to get conditioned is if I put myself under these stressful conditions, right? So um, I took to uh, going up to these summits sometimes, like I said, light, but then I'll go the long distance, right? So I'll, I'll have thir- uh, 20, 30-kilometer days, or I'll go shorter distance. 20? 30 kilometer days in the winter. Yeah, in the winter. So just as a note to our audience, um, it typically takes double the amount of time than it would in the summer. Yeah. Is that about right? Yeah. 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 So that, that's pretty big. Yeah. That's a big deal. So so here's the thing. Um, the, the benefit of the Adirondacks is that uh, there's a lot of people that love to go there. The good thing is that a lot of times uh, the popular trails are well beaten down. So it, it is a little easier. Um, but you got to remember, you got some se- severe elevation, right? So you could walk fairly easy on the flats, but now when you're going uphill, you you realize it's not just a like like Silver Peak, a 600 you know uh, meter or 600 feet up. Yeah. Uh, now you got like a thousand foot runs up like 30, 35 uh, uh, degree uh, slopes, yeah. right? So it's it's challenging, and uh, yes, you can get away with some longer distance, but there are times, and I think you guys know where it snows a lot, or you go to some certain summits that are not well-traveled. Um, I think maybe your audience already knows about the herd paths, like the ones that are popular and the ones that aren't. Yeah, we'll quickly explain it. So yeah. there are official paths right. um, up the mountains. They've got signs yes. that are really well-worn in. Yeah. Then any of the summits that don't have an official path, right. people still climb them. So whoever did it first had to bushwhack. Yes. And over time, they've worn what's called a herd path. Yes. It's not an official trail. It's not marked. Right. In the winter, you get screwed yes. all the time <laughs> because what happens is, because we're sheep, yeah. uh, you're following somebody else's footprints. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've been prey to this as well. Following somebody else's footprints and... You just assume they knew where they were yeah, going. <laughs> yeah. Because um, it's one thing in the snow versus a worn trail, because obviously then that's had like almost a consensus yeah. of which way to go. And you just follow and you follow and you follow, and then you realize you're on like some sub summit <laughs> a mile and a half from <laughs> the one you wanted to be on, and you can see it, and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. You know, and because at some point then you see like, them just like veer off in some weird direction. It's like that ain't right. Yeah, and because they had no idea where they were going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, there's. I've been on uh, sections where it, it would lead to dead ends because you know you they would go and there they knew they were uh, in the wrong spot and they would come back. Yeah, and so sometimes you come to a, like a three way split and you're like, 
uh oh, which one's the path, yeah. right? And, and quite often, if people have been there, you know which one it is because it's more trampled down. But if you're if you're not, if it, a lot of people haven't been there, then you can go any which way, and then and two out of three will be dead ends, right? But there was this one time that I did uh, um, a peak with Ben, and w it was one and a half miles to the summit. No, it was, no, was it? No, fifteen hundred feet. It wasn't even that far. Mm -hmm. It took three hours to the top and back. Well, that's just it. Like, especially if you have that gnarly snow conditions, right? Because um, I think you experienced it this winter, where they're, they've got snow, then they got freezing rain, so you have a crust yes. over the oh, snow. Yeah. That is the yeah. worst. And that then was you have over the New Year's Eve or something like that, because we were in the same. We're, we went on the same weekend. Yeah, because yeah. we, we basically, and I don't know if I talked to you or not, but it was like, uh, if I didn't, I should have. Which is, <laughs> you know, because it, it, we we were planning to go, and then I looked at the weather, and it started. It was raining, and there right. was flood warnings. It was like, oh, well, we're not going there. Yeah, <laughs> and then it was like, then I saw Dave's going. Oh. When, and it was like again. I couldn't. I don't remember whether whether we chatted and you just decided to go anyway, or I just never got around to saying, "Don't bother, dude. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. bother." Yeah, yeah. Um, because what happens there? Because they've got so much snow. Mm. When it rains, everything's frozen. Right. So then, a you get this crust on everything. Yeah. But then all the water runs from high altitude down into the low, but the creeks and the streams are frozen over. So now the water's running on top of it. Yeah. And everything floods everywhere. The trails are flooded. Yeah. You know, you can't cross the lakes because now they've got like standing water on yeah. top of the ice. Yeah, it you gets know. messy. I, I've learned, especially this year, um, through a few trips that when it's like when the temperatures drop and it rains, it makes for extremely not only dangerous but uh, difficult uh, escape route routes yeah. because mm -hmm. a lot of the routes up these mountains are are old creek beds, right? Mm -hmm. Or not old; they're creek beds that are obviously dry in the in the winter time or frozen over. But when they start flowing, now you could be trapped between two flooded creeks and can't get across. So it's something that now it's made me think differently if the conditions are mm -hmm. such that there's going to be rain and wet. Yeah. Have I you ever been in a situation that you're like, oh, shit? Yes. Yeah. So in it was actually over New Year's um, when we went, we were given advice by, the funny thing is, two different uh, park rangers about where to stay. And in the end, um, <laughs> the funny thing is that both uh, these rangers uh, had different information. One mm -hmm. said to stay at one lean-to, one said to stay at the other lean-to. But what, what ended up happening was <clears throat> when we got there uh, that night, we barely crossed this wide creek and you could just hear the water rushing underneath, right? And we were barely able to get across. The next day, because we were trying to summit back that way, it was totally flooded over. We couldn't even cross. And so now we were worried about going forward because they said there was this big swamp, uh, beaver pond area that they said, beaver ponds naturally, because uh, there's decomposition going on, it's always warmer, mm -hmm. right? And they don't freeze as well. And because it had rain and also because the temperature had dropped, uh, went above freezing, they warned us about being uh, careful about going through that section. So we were really, really worried. The, the, the lean-to that we were staying at, the river had come up like two or three feet, yeah. right? And it was that oh, kind wow. of, oh yeah, it was, it was so, crazy. So yeah. what was going on in your mind, given the situation and had it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I was kind of uh, upset because that we got the wrong advice from the the, the park ranger. Yeah. We should have listened to the first park ranger. He told us to stay at the lean-to that was further down. Okay. But anyhow, uh, so I was really concerned, and I told them, I said, listen, um, 
it's a good thing we're not going back because we can't because the creek is totally flooded and it's so wide. So we've got to go through this beaver pond. I said we've got to be extremely careful and we've got to keep an eye out. And so what I said is that I would go ahead and if I fell in, um, then just we'll, we'll – like we even had rope just in case yeah. it got sketchy uh, so mm -hmm. that we could help each other out. Yeah. But uh, so the girl um, that joined us for the first time sh on our way in, mm -hmm. she actually did break through and got her boot wet. Okay. So uh, so we, we knew how dangerous it was. Mm -hmm. So we were just trying to be super careful. But luckily on our day out, we got out without an incident. Have you ever fallen through <coughs> water, Therese? I've been lucky so far. Okay. Um, the only time uh, I've got what was on the La Cloche trip this year. Gotcha. Um, it was a, a solo excursion. Uh, I was doing about 20, uh, 20, I think it was like 26 kilometers there and back from the summit of uh, La Cloche, the Silver Peak. And uh, it was wet. <laughs> uh, so I didn't really... Break through. I broke through the snow and, and broke through a little creek that got my boot wet, but didn't get my feet soaked. But it was on my way out. The lakes um, were actually my heart stopped when I came out of the Did trees you? and I saw the lakes. It was covered in probably a couple inches of water. And from your initial reaction when you see it, you're thinking, "Oh my goodness, the ice is gone." And I'm thinking, "I know it can't be gone. Like it, yeah, the yeah, ice yeah. is thick." Yeah. And of course, it wasn't. But because it was deep enough and it had that. You know, the uh, Clarny has the uh, quartzite, right? Mm -hmm. So the water is, and it's also super clear from the acid rain. Mm -hmm. It had a, a nice blue aqua sheen to it. And that's why it makes you think initially that the ice is gone, but it's not, right? Mm -hmm. But that part, walking through the ice, was uh, a scary hike mm -hmm. because I had to cross Johnny Lake, um, and I was literally in two to three inches like my boot got totally soaked yeah uh in water with my snowshoes and you know you could see cracks along the ice and i knew it was solid but still your heart just thumping right and you're going for kilometers and no one's there out there with you so mm -hmm. uh it was it was nerve-wracking but thankfully it didn't f go through <laughs> yeah but you also had your uh your your device in case you're in trouble yes i had my spot um right. so i i could have called for help but the problem is seeing those situations if I had fallen into the ice, mm -hmm. right? So you're, no one's there to help you, mm -hmm. and hopefully you can get out. I mean, you there are techniques to get out, and uh, and but the thing is, if let's say if you're in a situation you you you're immobilized and you can't get help, mm -hmm. and you can you can call for help, it's probably at least I would imagine because you're kind of fairly remote. Uh, half an hour minimum if not an hour maybe several hours before help gets to you yeah so if you're soaking wet and it's freezing and you can't get out and you can't get fire mm -hmm. you even you're with screwed. a you're screwed mm -hmm. yeah yeah like that that's why practicing like yep. those types of things of actually Falling. under under controlled conditions yep. getting in cold water yeah. getting out getting up onto shore and then actually starting yeah. a fire in yeah. those conditions yeah, yeah. Uh, is a, is a skill to practice because yeah. then you it's like oh okay so I really should have this and you know right just in your in your uh, jacket pocket you know you've got like a guaranteed fire source maybe some fire cubes that'll burn floating on water you know mm -hmm. so that you've got all of the ducks in a row so, right and stuff that you can operate when your hands are frozen yeah you know mm -hmm. having those, all those pieces put in place so that and and you've practiced the skills. Because uh, one of the biggest issues people run into, and this goes whether it's climbing or um, any of the wilderness survival things, is when people, if they practice something, right. it's in a uh, 
non-challenging condition. Right. Right. And and you really need to practice these things. It's like working on rescue skills. Mm-hmm. You know, like doing the simulated. Um, you know, you're belaying and right. your leader falls, and you pretend they're knocked out cold, and now yeah. they're just hanging on the end of the rope. Yeah. How do you rescue them? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, now it's one thing to sort of practice the the the, the knots yep. and the escaping the belay on the ground, but now go up and do it. Right. And you know, have your have the leader just pretend that they're you know they're not going to help at all. Right. You know, and then it's like, oh, okay, can I actually do this shit? Yeah. yeah. You know, the same thing. It's like because when you hit that cold water, it's like a. Basically, you you have a full body ice cream headache, and it feels like a donkey <laughs> kicks you in the nuts. <laughs> what if you don't have nuts? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it still feels like. It. I'll never forget we were in um, Queen Elizabeth Wildlands in the winter with uh, Claudia and a few others, and uh, we were snowshoeing. Okay, and it was one of the first cold, cold days that we could actually start snowshoe across the lake. Nice, but of course, as the weather warmed up as you stepped water came up so yeah. it was really and, and we were okay because we had just seen atvs yeah. go across yeah. the lake but at the same time it was so unsettling and i always think about my kids yeah yeah <laughs> anyway it's um, you know what i think you're right so if you don't have that experience because a lot of times there are um, different layers in the, uh, on top of the ice, yeah. right? And, and melts and it freezes. And so sometimes you will snowshoe across lakes. And I've, I've had that experience many times. And for someone who doesn't know, you automatically think there might be a broken spot here on the ice and I might mm-hmm. go through, right? But once you start to understand how nature works and how the freezing process happens, then you could be a little more confident and, and not be so worried while you're out there. Yeah. So um, you you persevered Adirondacks. You did that. You had your eyes set on White Mountains. Yeah. Um, presidential range. Let's give some stats. Okay. Because that <laughs> is a freaking, uh, that, that place is pretty, uh, what it, what's the, the thing about it? Like it's it, the weather system there. It's got three different weather systems or yeah. it's considered to be one of the worst places. On earth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. give us those stats and then let's talk about the whys. Sure. Yeah, so so really, it culminates with Mount Washington because Mount Washington is the high point of the presidential range, and even though it's in you know uh, eastern New Hampshire, like a, just a few hours from Boston, mm-hmm. it's one of the most dangerous mountains on earth. It is um, because, like, I think this winter, every two days, the wind speed got up to at least a hundred miles an hour. That's nuts. Like that's the shit that blows you away. Yeah, um, I've seen videos of that. People. Yeah. <laughs> Like the guys at the weather station, mm-hmm. just going out, just fucking around, holding onto the railing yeah. and letting their feet go, so they're like, <laughs> like literally blown out sideways. Yeah, and it's like, look, woo, you know. Uh, so, so there's those conditions. It's stupid cold. It's a ton of snow. Right. Um, and then the presidential range, because it's named after presidents, uh, is a whole series of peaks. So if you want to do the presidential traverse, it. It's not climbing a mountain. It's climbing like a succession of mountains. Right. So you were going from down in the valley, like Pinkham Notch is like 2,000 feet. You're going to gain a minimum of like 3,500, but like Washington 6,300. So, you know, you're over 4,000 feet, but it's like going up and down like a sawtooth. Yeah. You know, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. In those conditions. uh, Until you go down. Yeah. And then you're done. So, uh, 
Why? Why? So cool. it, it's yeah. for me, like like I was mentioning about the Adirondacks. So because I was trying to hit a lot of the summits there, and I was also supposed to learning. I was trying to challenge myself and learn mountaineering skills and how to endure in those conditions. I thought. Well, where do I go next, right? So the Adirondacks, <coughs> I, haven't done, I haven't done the 46. I'm still doing a lot. And over this past winter, I think I did something like 16 of them. But wow. um, I figured, where do I go next, right? And so I'm always looking for the next challenge. And I figure here, uh, Mount Washington and the Presidential Traverse would be the ideal spot because it's not that much further, right? But it would, in fact, a lot of people who are going to Everest train on Mount Washington because of the winds, mm. right? Um, it doesn't have the vertical, of course, but because of the windy conditions, um, they train for their uh, train for, uh, for the Everest there. So you can imagine, for me, I was thinking, you know, my goal isn't Everest right now, uh, but what I wanted to, do, wanted to do is experience the, uh, the heavy winds, and I want to experience higher elevation, and I also want to experience uh, a series of peaks and challenge myself because at this point we're carrying all of our gear. Mm -hmm. There's no day trips where you're going up with, you know, light packs. We were, we were, most of us were carrying in excess of 50 uh, pounds. I think the heaviest was close to 60. Mine was closer to 60. Um, and the, the lightest was about almost 40 pounds, right? So, uh, we had everything on our backs and, uh, we experienced, I guess in, in kilometers, um, it would be almost 110, but that would be probably about 70 miles per hour winds. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and then in winter, those conditions with that amount of weight. Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. Because going up is just brutally hard. Yeah. Um, then you're fighting the wind. Oh, yeah. Then you get oh, up yeah. a peak, and then to come back down. Yeah. You don't want to be sliding. Right. It's like, uh, uh, you know, yeah. and, th and basically you're top heavy. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. and then you do it over again mm -hmm. on like, and you've got to watch cause you get whiteout conditions yeah. and depending on the spots up there, like there's literally like cliffs you can walk oh, yeah. off of, Yeah, you know, like it's, it's the real deal. Yeah. There was a few sections where we had to use her, um, our, our well, actually most sections we had to use our crampons, but there were cer certain sections we had to use our ice axe mm -hmm. because like you said, if we had slipped and fall, you would have been sl sliding all the way down the side of a, of a, a mountain and uh, could have hit rocks on the way down. Mm -hmm. Could have hit, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, vegetation or whatever. Like you, yeah. you could have got a serious injury, if not death. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, Washington, there's Mount Washington, there's, uh, or in that area in the White Mountains, there's always every year there's certain amount of deaths. And that year, uh, this year, this winter, there was I think there was a uh, I know there was at least one for sure, but there might have been a couple deaths yeah. this year too. Yeah. Yeah, because and these are not. <coughs> Like any of the any of the injuries and deaths that happen in the non-winter, right, are usually ill-prepared people. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, winter time, like the deaths, it's like, oh yes, and he's been climbing for twenty years, and da da da. You know, yeah, it's just like the mountain just decided exposure. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, exposure, crazy exposure. Yeah, um, falls. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because avalanches are, yep. are like I've been going up the side of Tuckerman's Ravine. Yeah, when the whole thing just gave way. Oh, we, wow. But because we made the call, because we were running a little late, mm -hmm. right? Because your avalanche risk increases later in the day yes. because it heats yes. up. Yeah. Um, and because we were running a little late, mm -hmm. it was like, let's go more technical up the side of the ravine. Yeah. And so when all the snow in the middle gave way. Wow. And it wasn't like an epic, you know, just the whole thing like yep. sort of gave and slid down maybe 100 feet. But yeah. when that much snow moves. It takes you. Yeah. 
Whereas, hey. you know, we got to sedan there and watch it go. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh that's that's exciting. Yeah. So yeah. so what do you love about that trip? Um, I, I loved, you know, to me, overall, the challenge and the experience of being exposed. Because it, for me, I love challenges, right? Physical challenges, right? But it's also, um, it's, it's a mental challenge as well, too. Because there are um, the wind that we had to deal with. And I, I'll tell you, I've never been tossed by wind before. I was the lightest guy on that trip, and even with the heavy, uh, one of the heavier packs, I had a hard time sometimes. I like literally got blown over a few times and tripped, right? Uh, and it was tiring with with the wind just slamming into That's you, true. right? And yeah. so I learned about my limits in terms of my weight and what kind of winds I could handle. So let's say if I ever go up a mountain and I know the winds are at a certain speed, mm-hmm. I know for a fact that if I go up there. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to handle it, mm. right? So the, I, the funny story to this is that the, some the other guys that are heavier, um, they didn't have a problem. I mean, you, they got a little swayed, but they, they weren't being tossed around, and they were kind of like, you know, laughing at me. But then I had, the f- I had the final laugh because on our way down the last day, there was a lot of snow, and everyone was post-holing literally mm. up to their crotch, sometimes yeah, yeah, up to yeah. their waist. And because I was light <laughs> enough, I was the only guy that didn't have to wear snowshoes down the mountain where they all had to. So I got the final laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that, it, it, it's the thing that I love. Like, it, there's beauty out there when in those conditions, mm-hmm. but it would be hard to, it, to call it like fun. Like, it, like you know that kind of. Oh man, like this. There's no place I'd rather be. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sort of sitting on the sitting on a rock, looking over the lake, or even in the dax in the summer. You know, yeah. um, but there there's something that just keeps calling you back to suffer. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll I'll be truthful. Even in the midst of some of the challenging wind and some of the difficult conditions we experienced, I was always still like amazed at the views and what I was seeing, mm-hmm. right? So like you're right in the sense that you, you couldn't just kind of take a moment, sit down and just kick your feet back and go, oh, let me just take it all in, take some pictures and, and just yeah. take it all in. Yeah. You couldn't do that, right? Yeah. But it was like a fleeting moment. But as I'm walking, I'm just taking it all in. And yeah. I'm just like amazed. And I, 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 I don't know why. I, I still feel like I, even under the tough conditions, I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I do. It, it more just comes into that thing where those conditions you can never turn off. Right. Right. Whereas in the summer, it's like, ah, let's stop and have a snack. Exactly. And, you know. Yeah. It, it, you, it, and it's like you're, you're sitting watching oh, yeah. the waterfall. Yeah, especially when you're uh, moisture control. Huge. Yes. You know, you know, especially when you stop just making sure you're not getting too cold and yep. you can't necessarily just start light a fire, you know, you got to keep going and eating. It's being efficient, right? Yeah. yeah. At least we've never backpacked like the way you did. Okay. We, we base camped and yep. went up and came down. But that was a big deal. But yeah. uh, I'll never forget when I went up Mount Seward my first time, and I think that's when we connected shortly after that. Okay. Um, that I remember being up there, and I'm like, I don't belong here. <laughs> <laughs> and my my fear, which I shouldn't have been too much, was you know sliding down the hill or, or yeah. tree wells, and uh, I posted hole a few times. But um, yeah, I, I didn't even want to go up all the way to the top. There wasn't very much of a path there. Okay. Brooks had gone ahead of us, and there was a bit of something, but it was more of a slant. Mm. I was afraid of going down that mountain. Yeah. 
Uh, you keep saying there was nothing to be afraid, but there weren't a lot of trees. You know, if you if you slip, I guess. Anyway, I was afraid. Well, you know there, what? There that's was a ton, ton of trees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not there though. Not oh no, right no, at the top. Yeah. So that scared me, and and I, I was afraid of falling into snow and falling in deeper over my head. Yeah. But I'd like to go back. But that was a motherfucker of a slog. Yeah. Because <laughs> we kept saying, oh, we're almost there. And we really thought we were. But yeah. for some reason, my grandma wasn't telling us the truth. Yeah. yeah. And that, this was one that very few people had gone up. Okay. Yeah, so it was a herd bath. Yeah. So even with snowshoes on, yeah. every step was up to your knees. Yeah. And when it got steep, it was just like... And yeah, you sliding. Like going in sand. It just yeah. kept moving. Yeah. yeah. You know, like... And then when you went to crampons, then you were post-holding on... Yeah. <laughs> And, and I think it, the, the fear is justified. It's it's kind of like what we talked about the lake, about walking on the lake and then having water come up. You're thinking, oh, shoot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you're not experienced and you don't have, let's say, proper technique or, or know-how to yeah. deal with ice, things like having the crampons and the right equipment, it, yeah. it plays a huge role. But if you don't know that or if you don't have that, the fear is justified because you don't know how to handle those conditions. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why, for me, as I thought about, future mountains i always thought how can i make my 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 trips more challenging because it's not just about the challenge but it's about growing and learning because everything that i do that's more difficult and i get through it then i've learned something Mm -hmm. right and it adds to my repertoire so that when i hit a even bigger mountain then i'm much more comfortable because now i don't have to focus on those fears i have to focus on the new fears which are let's say lack of oxygen more uh more vertical Mm -hmm. or 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 glacier travel right so um you just want to eliminate as many of the variables that could possibly affect you and deal with the ones that are are front and center that are that you need to focus on Mm -hmm. So basically, obviously, this whole winter has been like an endurance fest for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a reason for that. Yeah. So what, what is it leading up to? In less than a week, um, I will be heading to the Pacific Northwest. And uh, there's a group of four of us. And we will be attempting to summit Mount Rainier, which is the highest in Washington State, and Mount Hood, which is the highest in um, Oregon. So what are the heights of these? So uh, uh, Rainier is fourteen thousand four hundred and I believe ten feet, mm-hmm. and Oregon I think it's it's over ten thousand. I don't have the numbers for Oregon uh, for the for Hood. Sorry, yeah. uh, but Rainier is is really our main goal, and then if everything goes well there, then we'll head over to Hood and try to do Hood. So Rainier is going to be at least a two day um, outing. <clears throat> and whereas hood can be done in one night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Rainier is one of the uh, mountains in sort of the continental U.S. Yeah. That it doesn't have just a nice hiking trail. Like <laughs> that, right? Like Mount Whitney's taller. Yeah. But and you, but there's a hiking trail. Yeah. Uh, like Rainier is technical climbing. Yeah. And there, you there's know. There's glaciers everywhere. It's yeah. it's a most heavily glaci- uh, glaciated mountain in the contiguous U.S. Yeah. I think um, not including maybe Alaska, but, uh, but so here's another thing. Remember I talked about Washington and how people, mountaineers train for Everest because of the wind? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They train in on Rainier because of the glaciers to mm. train for Everest. Mm. So, so crossing. So you're going to cross crevices. And exactly. And so that's a huge risk. And then the to further train for Everest, um, you go find some really long lines and just stand <laughs> <up>. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Costco. Costco. <laughs> 
and basically, but it's got to be it's got to be a uh, a, a lineup up a stair so your nose is in somebody's ass <laughs> yeah. in front of you. You and know. everybody needs a mask that they can't yeah. barely yeah. breathe in, right? Yeah, and you have to have like one of those like training masks on yeah, so yeah, you exactly. can't breathe either. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> everybody sounds like Bane. Yeah. That's hilarious. You know, cuz and it's funny like the you know, you you mentioned Everest like with what's been happening particularly this yes. year, like people just dying standing yeah. in line. Not any it wasn't an avalanche, it wasn't yeah. the weather, it was uh the, yeah, I uh, I just People couldn't move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, and it's one of these things. Like to me, that's not mountaineering. No. Like no, the, especially the route that they have sort of laid out up there. Right. It's all fixed lines. Yep. It's. I would much rather climb something way smaller that yeah. I had to figure out. Yep. Um, and there's no fixed lines. It's right. like in in a sense, it's like trad climbing, right? Mm-hmm. Versus the sport climb where you. Literally are playing connect the dots because you can follow the bowls. Exactly, it's fun, and I'm not dissing it, but yeah. but it doesn't have that adventure element no. to it. Trad climbing, it's like you have to route find. You got to figure out right which way to go. Um, mountaineering on a mountain that somebody didn't like put a whole bunch of fixed lines mm-hmm. and wear the trail for you. Right, it's like oh okay, well we got to figure it out. Yeah, like that's the puzzle part. Yeah. You know, and and I think that's why like because obviously people when they they find out I climb and they're like you know. It, do some mountaineering it's like oh yeah you ever gonna climb Everest it's like <laughs> fuck no like, <laughs> it's of no interest to me because yeah. you know you go a guide that sort of basically holds yeah. your hand yeah you know and uh, it, it, it's the kind of thing where you're skirting with death because you're playing in the death yeah. zone yeah um but it, it's being run like you know standing in an amusement park yeah line. Yeah. You know, That's interesting. it's like, oh, you slowly move your way to the top. Oh, you get your view. Here, we take your picture. Okay, but come, come back, back down. down. Yeah. But it wasn't you figuring out, no. you know, the way up the cool yard and which way and, you know, may, judging rock quality and right. anchors and... Yeah. That, like, that's all the shit I love to do. See, yeah. so this is um, <clears throat> exactly why when Catherine was asking me, why am I doing these endurance fests? Why am I doing uh, the harder trip? And, and, and it's because... I want to condition myself. I want to learn. It, it's a it's a growing process mm-hmm. for me because I have bigger goals, right? And so, going to Rainier and Hood was was my goal for this uh, f- for this season, right? And I took a mountaineering course with One Axe Pursuits. A uh, little, um, you know, shout out to them because uh, it w- I w- had a great time there and I learned a lot. <clears throat> but um, these are all things that I'm trying to build upon. Right to become a better self-sufficient mountaineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think certain times there are are it, it's good to have a guide or a local uh, person guide you. Right um, as you're in that learning phase. Right, mm-hmm. um, but the problem with Everest is a lot of people are doing it just because it's a notch in their mm-hmm. in their belt or whatever the case is. Right, um, it's to say that I've done the highest mountain. Right, but you're not really a mountaineer because your goals just to accomplish this as as another accomplishment in your life, right? Whereas for me, and, and canoeing has been a, a perfect example for me. Um, of course, I love to do all these beautiful r- routes that people are guided on, right? But I've never, ever wanted to guide uh, or be guided on a trip. And that's why I learned enough canoeing skills so that I could pick any route that I, I mm-hmm. want to do mm-hmm. and I would do. And I would even create my own canoe routes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as as mm-hmm. difficult as they, they are, right? So mountaineering for me 
will still have the same mindset. I want to learn the skills. I want to be competent. I want to be able uh, to be uh, to trust in my ability, and then and pick routes that suit my my skill level and, and ability. It, it it's that figuring it out part. Of yeah, you've got to do the moves. Right. Um, and the more technical, the better. Right. Right. Um, especially like a route where you've got trudging in on snowshoes. Mm-hmm. Then you maybe have like some pitches of technical rock climbing. Right. Then it's going to cut mm-hmm. stairs, right. you know, like steps mm-hmm. in the snow. Then you get some exposed ice. Right. Right. Like, so it's, it's all of these yeah. skills having to come together. And then yeah. you've got to, you know, find your way, pick the right route, make the right anchors. Right. And every route you do is a different puzzle. Right. You could choose in your life to be a mountaineer and only be guided. Yeah. Or you can choose to be skilled and you can choose which routes that you want to do. So at least a few times a year, do a trip where you take newbies out with mm-hmm. you. They have a nickname for that. What's that? <laughs> the Passionate Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I've sort of mentored a lot of people over the years yeah. as well. but. How do you go about sort of planning those trips? Because it's not like you tend to do, it's like, I'm doing this trip, you want to come along, right. as opposed to, okay, and we'll work in and, you know, work yeah. people up. I throw them right into the lines. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, you know, like how, like, do you think of it when you're, when you're out there that it's like, I've got to look after these people or... You know what? I, I, I believe I always will have to be kind of mindful of the people's welfare, for sure. No one's paying me to take these people, mm-hmm. right? I'm doing this out of my own time and, and, and uh, free will. But a lot of these people that follow me know the kind of trips that I, 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 I get myself into. In general, they people already have a sense of what my trips are like. And a lot of people don't have that experience, nor do they... You know, maybe th- some of them have some curiosity to it, right, or, or interest, but they're because no one um, is there to lead them or, or, or guide them, they would never do it, right? And so uh, quite often, uh, social media has been a great uh, um, a forum to meet and connect with people. Occasionally, I'll put a trip out and, and invite people, right? And, and the surprising thing is, initially, I thought it would be very difficult to find people, but the surprising fact is, I tend to have a lot of people interest and, and quite often I have to turn people down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there, these are opportunities for them to experience something that's totally outside of their norm of usual canoeing or, or winter sports, I, I guess you can say, right? And uh, I would say most times, as demanding as difficult it is, most of them come back totally uh, thankful for the experience. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, they felt... they. They, they discover something new, right? Or, or they even they may even discover a new passion, right? So I try to uh, prepare them prior to going. Um, I, I don't hold them by their hand and, and, and baby them. Because remember, a lot of these people will have a certain amount of experience. The problem is trying to kind of work together with everybody to kind of get them on an even keel as to what to expect and, and well, how to prepare for it. And then we, we go for it. The realistic thing of planning these kind of trips is that if you're taking people that are new or maybe not as experienced, you always have to know that in your head that it may not succeed. Yeah. And so if your your per- main purpose is to, to get all these peaks or, or canoe to this location, then then you better not be taking new people with yeah. you. I mean, yeah. that's just irresponsible, right? So I don't have that in mind. I mean, y- you know, 
there's an expectation and sometimes you know there's a little bit of disappointment but you know what the thing is in the end what i'm more happy about is that if we all come back safe mm-hmm. sound and we've had a great time mm-hmm. because quite often times there's trips that have gone awry and but it still ends up being a great trip because whatever else comes of it you just you just make the best of it right and yeah. and you can't dwell on the fact that it wasn't successful right but if i was planning a trip with the main goal of doing peaks or whatever the case is, then I would expect everyone on that trip to give 110%. Mm -hmm. But I don't have that same expectation when I'm going with a group of people that may not have the same uh, skills or conditioning that uh, either I or or maybe the most people in the group have as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's rewarding too when you bring friends along doing something they haven't done before, um, how much they've grown on that. Yes. And see, so... My thing is, my take is that if I see them enjoying it and seeing them totally like into the trip, that it brings me a lot of joy. And that's part of what I do and sh- why I share on on social media and uh, things like this, you know things like this through podcasts is because I want to inspire people to get out. Mm-hmm. I have um, a unique situation where I do have a lot of time off. I don't have kids um, and, and, and I'm struggling with money so that I'm able to do these trips. So rather than just do it all just for yourself, right, self, um, tr- mm-hmm. to try to give back, right, mm-hmm. and, and try to inspire people. And I'll, I'll tell you, besides doing all these trips and, and peaks and whatever, some of my uh, greatest um, uh, joys was talking to people that were inspired by what I've done and, oh. and what they've accomplished. Yeah. Even, I remember one time I was at, at Novacraft. I used to be ambassador for Novacraft Canoes, and I and I did a presentation there. And then one day I, I came in, I, I had to talk to the rep or something like that, and the father and the kid was there, and I didn't recognize him, right? And the kid goes, Daddy, Daddy, that's him, right? And, and, and he came over to me, and he says, oh, just we just wanted to say hi. My son heard your, your, your presentation, and he says he wanted to be just like you. I mean, that put, like, a smile on my face all day. Yeah. Like, I mean, that kind of stuff shows that as much as these trips are, are obviously for me, that I can give back and, and people can take away from my trips um, is so much more rewarding than what I accomplished for myself. Yeah, yeah. I find it lucky. I wish I was my kids because I get to experience a lot of backpacking. I've taken them into the Adirondacks right. and, you know, just into Marcy Dam. And yeah. we did up to the in- Indian Falls. Okay. And, you know, because they're little, but we'll but you know what they're they're, yeah. they're going to be inspired by you, right? Yeah. Like I think a lot of us. Um, unfortunately, my dad died at a young age, so I didn't have a parent to inspire me. But I've hear of many uh, uh, kids or or friends my age that were inspired by their parents and the fact that you that's i think it's great that parents will do that they'll be taking them rock climbing they'll be taking them on hikes yeah because when they grow up who are they going to remember who are they going to say inspire them it's you yeah yeah but that, that's actually one of my key messages with this podcast is to try and teach others, other parents, you know, yeah. getting their kids out. Because a lot of them are like, how do I start? Where yes. do I start? I have to wait till they're eight. And I'm like, no, you don't actually, you know. You no. Can yeah. People are taking their sooner. babies canoe tripping. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's no different from planning like this mountaineering trip, right? They all have the unique sets of challenges. And it's just tackling them one at a time and figuring how it's going to do it. So the main thing with parents taking them out on a trip, whether it's backpacking or on a canoe trip, it's not to make the trip difficult. You got to cater the trip to the kids, right? Yeah. 
but the goal is making their experience positive so that next time they want to keep doing it, they want to do more, they want to go further, higher, faster, whatever the case yeah. is, right? And so your my mountain, my peak is your, let's say, your campsite or it's your uh, paddling destination with the kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And they present just as equally difficult challenges as, as my mountaineering trip. I, and I, at least I believe so. Yeah, like each of them is a unique... Uh, little hurdle to go overcome. Now, right. it, 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 basically, sometimes it's just like keeping your kids happy. Yes. Might not be physically demanding as, you know, yeah. you don't have to train for it quite the same way. But, you know, it, it, it is, it's like, you need to define like what will be a successful trip. Well, right. if the kids love what, and fall in love with this stuff. Yeah. Right? Just as hitting that summit and getting back down safely. Yep. You know, so when you, when you lay out those objectives, um, it, it really is kind of interesting. Yeah. So uh, let's take a step back because obviously we, we talked about your mountaineering, you know, over the last four years and sort of mm -hmm. the progression. Um, but that's not sort of the start of you in the outdoors. No. <laughs> uh, so let, let's just go back to little David. <laughs> uh, and where did it, where did it start, you know? And at what point did the, the, the did you go from to some dude to you know the passionate paddler then the passionate peaker? Yeah, um, I, you know what? I don't know. I mean, as a little kid, I could say that this must have been just ingrained in my genes or something. Like, I don't. I've never ever since I was a kid. I, I could tell you from my mom telling me that that even though my mom wanted me now, I'm Asian, right? I'm Korean, and my parents were very typical they wanted us to be excel in school right and, um they had us reading at home they had us doing some math stuff they wanted us to play piano and i, I have to say i was very typically raised or uh, asian right but of between my brother and i uh, especially me i was always driven to just wanted to be outside like, I was playing piano, I was looking outside, right? <laughs> I was reading, I was very distracted with what's going outside, right? I honestly, I just, it was, I feel like it was literally almost like programmed in my genes because as a kid, once all my homework and whatever stuff was done, like I had to do this in the summertime. I had mm. to read and do math in the summertime. Oh. I mean, it was like torture, right? So once I was done, boom, I was gone. I was like gone from that moment till it got dark. And remember, as kids back then, your parents didn't worry about you, right? As long yeah. as you're home by dark, then, then that's good, right? And we used to go swimming, play sports and stuff. But what I loved the most was taking a little pack and going tromping in the forest, going yeah. fishing, going yeah. just, just, just trekking, pretending like we were explorers, mm. right? Um, yeah. I'll tell you. Remember I told you as a, as a kid I, was, I dreamed as I was a, uh, wanted to be a, a mountaineer? When I was young enough... I used to pretend our stairway um, in our house was a mountain. We threw a rope down. We pretend we were climbing up the rope, right? And we used our piano bench. We put a sheet over it, and we pretend that was our like, a tent where we slept in. So, like I said, as a little kid, I was my imagination was already firing at full speed, right? So as I grew up, of course, I just took that um, that that. Uh, that imagination, that curiosity, and and I just went outside and just went nuts, right? And so uh, I, I I've done it since I was a kid, and uh, I I think it was just kind of like ingrained in me. No, not even ingrained in me. It was just born with me. That's mm -hmm. yeah. better. But yeah, yeah. it was born in me. 
Yeah, I would say I was the same too. Yeah. We had a valley with weeping willows and I pretend I was like Indiana Jones-esque or something. Yeah. We use those to whip yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that yeah. hurt. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, like yeah, I've I got... I play in the forest all the time. Yeah, yeah I've got all yeah. sorts of wounds all over me from yeah. those kind of games as a kid. Yeah. You know, and it, it's funny, like, it always makes me wonder, like, the way that kids are raised now. Yeah. Um, they, they miss that like freedom mm-hmm. right where you know you always had the one kid in your little group right who like maybe got hit too hard in the head like he's not quite right <laughs> um you know like we we had uh uh terry who was like two or three doors down from me yeah um got his foot run over by a transport truck <laughs> oh because you know you're, you're running across chicken. the road playing chicken yeah yeah, yeah um yeah. And, you know, we would we would go exploring because there was the one, like, storm drain that the bars were broken yeah, yeah. off. So we, and it was, you know, like, probably like a, you know, one of those giant concrete ones. Yeah. So we'd sit on our skateboards and, like, push ourselves through the storm oh, drain. Cool. Go cool. miles underground. That's awesome. You know, kids don't get to do that shit anymore. No. Right? You know, and but then what happens is, is that we learned risk tolerance. Yes. Right? It's like, oh, I fell out of that tree and broke my arm. Better not fall out of a tree again. <laughs> <laughs> but then you do. <laughs> you know, you just do it a different way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was busy. But you know though, what they it. say is that you've got it right when you're a kid. You generally know exactly what you should yep. be doing. And then as you get into school and rules and societal expectations, yeah. you kind of lose yourself. Yep. And I feel like as you get older, people start to question everything and go back to, yeah, but I just want to do what I love. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, we all have. I mean, you being a parent, you know very well that there are times in our lives where <clears throat> kids come into play, and all of a sudden your focus has has a major diversion. And uh, and I think we talked briefly how you're now having that more opportunity to now pursue the adventurous side of you that was always there, but you were um, you know occupied with yeah. raising kids, <coughs> and uh, and so that's like I said, that's been a um, I wouldn't say a lucky thing for me because I, I think if I was married younger, I would have kids as well too. But it's an opportunity that I have, so that I'm trying to exploit, right? But I'm glad that you're doing it, and I hope it inspires other parents yeah. to take that opportunity because it's never too late. No, it's not. Never. And we, and we see this at the climbing yep. gym. Parents come in, that kids climb, and they're not doing it. And I get it yeah. because I did, you know, I still struggle a little bit with that fear heights and mm. yeah. class four grade yeah <laughs> which i don't like but um yeah it's there when you do overcome it it's amazing and yeah. you're always stronger right than you think you are yes always always yeah. and i'm glad that you're pursuing it because i think the, the stuff like what you're doing should be um you know shared more through social media and and through just among talking with friends and your family and stuff like that because I think people get into that rut. They're like, well, I'm too old, you know, now, like, you know, what am I supposed to do? Get back exercising and try to do, like, people sometimes give themselves too many excuses and they just allow life to happen, which is not fulfilling for them, right? But if they make that effort, it's amazing the rewards that... Well, doing this podcast, I had no idea how fulfilling and rewarding it would be. Yeah. You know, uh, just talking about and meeting people that, you know, about a common interest and what you're passionate about, how much more confidence that brings Mm -hmm. you and light in your eyes and, you know, so on and so forth. But, um, yeah, it's amazing. Just find something that you love. Um, 
got a question. Okay. So uh, <laughs> you kind of uh, you have other goals. What are your big audacious goals? <laughs> audacious goals? Yeah. Um, so I think right now, what well, seems to be uh, developing quite quickly and, um, and is kind of consuming me is the mountaineering side because it's a total new set of skill sets. Uh, conditioning that I like, I, I think I mentioned that I've never had to do for canoeing, right? And also the risk. Do you hear a lot of people dying on mountaineering trips? I have a, a lot of thoughts of different mountains because as I pursue Rainier and Hood, I keep looking beyond and looking at what else is there, right? And there's, as you know, we have a huge uh, globe <laughs> that we love on, live on called Earth, and it has a lot of peaks, right? And so. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I can't really say specifically what they are, but I could tell you that I am looking at multitudes of bigger and higher mountains. Um, and it, and it will, it will, it will go based on how I advance. Mm -hmm. I think, because I think we've already discussed that I've got to develop my skills. I've got to develop yeah. my experience yeah. uh, so I can do this safely. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so if this works out well, this trip on Rainier, and I'm able to get to Rainier and, and I'm able to get on top of Hood, then I'll use those uh, skills and that experience to keep building on, right? I want to take more courses. I want to also learn. Uh, I think Winston talked about the uh, the mountain climbing, about uh, how that there's many skills. Mm -hmm. So I took a mountaineering course general, but mm -hmm. it touched a lot about r rescues and crevasse. But I need to develop ice climbing skills. I also will use the rock climbing skills to develop <coughs> more rope skills mm -hmm. and just, you know, basic like rappelling and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And even you were saying practicing, uh, let's say someone uh, that was dead weight and you're trying to pr uh, um, rescue them on, on a ledge, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could you could be doing that uh, on a, a mountain because mountains, uh, depending on which ones you choose, they have different um, technical aspects where yeah. some parts can be, and they, they, that's why they call it alpinism, where some of it could be ice climbing, some of it could be rock, and then some, some could be going through glacier fields, mm -hmm. right? So you got to take all those, uh, all those skill sets and combine them. And, and that's why I think this mountaineering aspect um, kind of really just uh, captures my imagination and my, um, my drive so much more than canoeing because there's so much more challenges, right? Yeah. And, it's, and it's new. Right, and uh, I just want to see where I can go with this, and and I could just say that if these this climb is successful, I will be looking at bigger and higher mountains. I love capturing the photo, taking the photographs. Yes, yeah. I love that, and I love it even more when it's in documentary style. People are not even watching, and you see yep. the expressions, and and in a way, that's probably what drives me. Like not so much the athleticism, although that's interesting too, and overcoming challenges. But for me, that's what I love. Yeah, and I think that would be just beautiful. I'd love to do the Annapurna. Is it Annapurna? Annapurna. I would yeah. love to do the Annapurna trail track wow. that Sarah did um, because I love culture and yep. I love the idea of um, capturing a glimpse of it. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. I know my goals are to lose more weight and just keep on getting as fit as possible. Yeah. But those goals of a track, I, I've always helped me. Yeah. So. You know what? I think if people have goals in their lives, yeah. right, it's amazing how it transforms their lives from every aspect, whether it's mentally, physically, um, or even just the, the, the outlook in their life, right? Because when you have something to focus on that's positive, mm -hmm. then, and you're driven, then your whole life will, will start to change in, in, in pursuit of that goal, 
right? And uh, because we're, your podcast about you know part-time adventure, mm-hmm. I would say most of us are, are are part-time adventurers. Really, if you think about it, um, who who's unless on, only the pros really, right? That are sponsored, yeah. mm-hmm. are the ones that are doing this full time. Yeah, right? or or like a somebody like Cody, who's a mountain guide, oh, so okay. he's taking the, people or, yeah, or yeah. a rock climbing guide, exactly. So he's taking people out regularly. Yeah. but technically he's still working, right? I yeah. mean, he's not like just pursuing his own goals, right? Yeah. So um, I feel that sharing our stories and showing sharing each other's passion um, will make people realize that you too can have a goal. You too can pursue your passion, whatever it is, and still live a full, like live a normal life, you know, supporting a family, um, having kids, and still um, making your life uh, enriched because you have a passion that you're, you're running after. Yeah, and I think too when when people are sort of stuck in the work, kid, yep. eat, sleep, work, kid, you know, oh, yeah. one of the, one of the things you run into is when you do have a goal. Now all of a sudden it's like it gives you this crystallized purpose. Yes, right. It's like oh, okay, I'm not just in a hamster wheel anymore. Yeah, um, because it, what happens with so many people is that you reach a, per, a point where you're living life almost on autopilot. Yes. Yeah, and then it's like. What am I doing, right? Yeah. And it, and it, it's funny because forties tend to be that magical age. The kids are usually old enough that you actually can think again, <laughs> um, <laughs> and people are like, "What am I doing?" Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's yeah. oh yeah, you because your parents maybe you're getting older and you start to reevaluate. For sure. yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and and I, I guess it's one of the the biggest things is that. If you can take those things that just, you know, make you feel alive, right? And it and it becomes uh, part of the framework of your life, yeah. Right, like you're working to live, not living to work, right? Or <laughs> whatever the phrase is. Um, but but it's a thing. It's like, yeah, you gotta have a job. Yeah. If you can have a job you enjoy, awesome. Right. Right. And if you don't, work on that too, because <laughs> you know, because um, I'll tell you, like having doing something that's fun. That you enjoy, that you look forward to going to work. Yeah, life is you know it's a, that third of your day that you're spending. Yeah, is much more you know you don't feel like oh god I'm just going to the, the yeah. salt mines. Um, <laughs> but then it, then it's that thing like having that purpose, right? And that that's one of the things that that I've had for years, which is that I get a lot of uh, out of is like trying to whether it's inspiring or mentoring people. Right. That and then you get people coming to you go, man, I went on that trip like you took and I did the thing you said and yeah. oh God, it's so amazing. It's like, yeah, yeah, it is. That's awesome. You know, I'm so glad for you. Like like it, because all of a sudden it's like people that were kind of like yeah. mopey or alive. Yeah. 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 I'll never forget. I mean, with my life circumstances of becoming a single parent or co parenting and separating from my marriage, um uh, I have less now. Mm-hmm. I've never been happier. Yeah. Um, you got more gear, though. I do. <laughs> it's I necessary. Do. I do. And there was another point, but I think I'm a little bit drunk. <laughs> I'm trying to remember it. Um, it'll come to me. What, your point? Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, so, that one was good. Yeah. So, uh, I guess, uh, you know, we've been talking, like, later on this summer. Yeah. Uh, you might come climbing with us down in the Adirondacks yeah. when it's not snowy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because... Yeah. E- Again, it'll, it, a it's just going to be a fun trip, but but also you run into that thing where then there's uh, a whole other skill set. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 
you know, anchor building, yep. placing pro, mm-hmm. all of that that you still have to learn. Yeah. Right. You, you know, it's 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 kind of uh, funny how what's going on, right, with the canoeing uh, aspect and this mountaineering aspect that are. I like to say they're they're cohabiting uh, together, but they're really mm-hmm. they're kind of also competing, right, mm-hmm. for my time, and uh, <clears throat> it's. I I've been very, I, I guess I could say I've been very selfish with canoeing, right? I've I've kept all the other sports out because, granted, I have done I've mountain biked, I've uh, backpacked, uh, I've done different sports. I've even ice climbed, but these are more kind of like you know rock climbed here and there and, yeah. and that. But like uh, I have done other kind of sports, but once I found canoeing, I decided that. I know if I pick up any outdoor sports, I'll love, right? The thing is, I just wanted to be good at one thing. And and I realized canoeing here in Canada was, was ideal because there's so much water, right? And so I, I took that seriously. I took it passionately, right? Yeah. And, and that's where I, I came. I, I That's where I grew and, and became the passionate paddler. But the mountaineering aspect now has really put a... A kink <laughs> in, in that uh, that plan, but I'm I'm actually not too disappointed because, like I said, I th- I fulfilled a lot of my goals for canoeing, right? And I will still continue to canoe, but because this is all new and exciting, I've opened myself to I'm running now, right? To condition, mm-hmm. I'm I'm now opening myself to rock climbing, right? Now I'm going to try some ice climbing as well, right? So I'm definitely opening myself to doing different things. Mm-hmm. And uh, in experiencing, um, opening up my my range of experiences so that it doesn't include doesn't what do mean include isn't specifically just canoeing and that's it. Yeah. Right. So. Well, and I think I think it's one of those things where it's almost like you're learning to play a new instrument. Yeah. You know, like if you think of canoeing as playing the piano. Yeah. Yes, you can, you're going to keep playing the piano. Yeah. Exactly. But. Any improvements are going to be minuscule and incremental. Right. Right. But now you pick up a guitar. <laughs> and it's all new. It's all new and it's yeah. exciting. And besides, the guitar player gets a girl. So, um, <laughs> what do Mountaineers get? Uh, frostbite. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes snowball. Gang green. Yeah. Yeah. Nice little warm hug. You know. <laughs> um, but, but again, it, like when you, when you get like captured. By like yeah. your, your attention's captured by like it's one of the greatest feelings because yeah. you know you just feel like you're just so alive because well, everything oh, yeah. you learn is new. Yeah, you and know. when you come back, I love that difference or that that transition from pain to pleasure. Right, right. So sleeping back in a nice, warm, comfy, soft bed. Yeah, <laughs> taking that shower yeah. or, or dipping your head in the cold water. Yeah, it, it is nice, bed. you know, when you get back and you finally get to sleep in your own bed and you get to be clean. But I find once that's done, then I'm like, oh. What's I'm, next? I'm next. Like, why am I home again, right? It's yeah. kind of yeah, like. Yeah, because you're going pretty frequently. <coughs> yeah. So it's almost like, uh, it's like chasing that depression away. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> like we were saying with Sarah, right? Yeah. Because that's, that's that, that high, right? Yeah. So. You know. Well, and, and it, it is. It's like, whether it's frequent, like, epic trips or yeah. just frequent doses like we run into that like if whether it's the working out or or uh climbing or a trek or a hike if you go much more than a couple of days without some sort of fix you're like i don't know i'm just not feeling right (laughs) kind of feel like uh, antsy and you know 
And then it's like maybe it's going to the climbing gym, maybe it's hitting yep. the rock outside, maybe it's putting some miles on on the trails. That that each thing then is like a building block making you better. Yeah. You know, than when you go do a big thing. But see, I think that's why having all these like even though I say goals, but they don't have to be big goals. They could be like multiple small goals. And and a lot of people have asked me, especially when, with the canoeing side, like how the heck do you go so much, right? Well, I just keep planning them, right? And I just, I focus on them. And, and, and like uh, Catherine was say, saying, once I get home, I get comfortable, then I'm right back on planning. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, uh, wait, I still got to clean my gear, yeah. put it away. <laughs> and then I, I'm, I'm already pla- planning and, and planning the next one, right? Getting things ready. So, there is never a moment where I get home and thinking, okay, two weeks, I'm going to kick back my legs and I'm not going to think anything. It never happens mm. with me. And uh, and some people may think it might be a little bit too much and, and it's fine. Like some people need that downtime, but I tend to keep going, right? And and there's never that time to, if you, it, maybe, maybe I would get depressed. Maybe, I, like maybe I, I if I did stop, maybe I would have like chronic depression, mm. yeah. but I wouldn't know, right? Yeah. Because I don't, don't let stop. myself to, to get there, right? Yeah. But uh, um, give yourself many goals, right? You could have the big goals where you ultimately build all the small ones towards. But if you constantly give yourself the goals and you're making those goals, like sometimes you're going to have some failures, but even as you make uh, succeed in those small goals, they just drive you to go harder and faster and and just keep pursuing it like with a laser focus right and i think uh that makes life more fulfilling because you know every day you're 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 getting there you're getting to that big goal and you're making you're making you're succeeding on the small goals and taking the steps to get yeah and 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 it's accepting the fact that the journey's never over no because when you've accomplished a goal it's not like "Mm, done right now i can rest on my laurels no now it's like look up right what's Mm -hmm. next yeah Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. It's like and a false summit. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And then just keep going. Yeah, exactly. You know, one foot. Yeah. And, but really, like, like, it's such a metaphor for life, though. Yeah. yeah. Because Definitely. no matter what you accomplish in life, until you're dead, you wake up the next day and you got to keep going. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not like you're ever, oh, okay, I'm done. Yeah. You know? No, it's like, okay, what's next? Yeah. Right? And in, in, in a sense, like the, the uh, you know, developing kind of like a, a a high level in the canoe side right and then taking that okay what do i suck at right that mm-hmm. that engages me yeah mm-hmm. because anything worth doing for you you're when you start you're gonna suck yeah right oh yeah and and it's that you know fear of sucking that pushes us a lot of times <laughs> do, you, do you chase your fears uh, so here's an interesting one did you know that i was scared of heights no i did not know that Really? As a kid, I was terrified. Really? So if you want to talk about heights and how I'm now mm. rock climbing and I'm, and I'm oh, trying yeah. to ice climb and, and now mountaineering, yeah. as a kid, I could... Do you know any those stairs that don't have the riser behind them? Yeah. So you, you, you could see through yeah. them, yeah. I could not even walk up those because I thought I was going to fall through and die. Yeah, yeah. Right? And my parents had to carry me, right? As a kid, I couldn't go on any roller coasters. Escalators, I bet you didn't go down those. Um, I, I, don't I hated remember. those. M- maybe. I, I think the escalators I was fine with. Okay. But even climbing a tree, like I was like, you know, bare knuckling, like just like, just yeah. a white yeah. face and just like, yeah. but I, I was, it was that peer pressure, you know, the, the kids are doing it, right? But I was scared. Yeah. I was scared. And so I fought through it. I like. I remember going my first roller coaster. It was at Canada's Wonderland, Dragonfire. You know the first one yeah, that you you yeah. go on, uh, that's on the right. 
I nearly crapped my pants, <laughs> right? I was just like, and, and then after that, like I was with my parents, my dad, and I didn't go on another roller coaster after that. Mm. When I went back on the next one, it was with, a, when we went with our school group, and I was pressured. They go, oh, yeah, and I, I didn't want to tell them I was scared, and I forced myself, and I was, oh, I was ready to crap my pants again, but I kept doing it, and by the end of that trip, that, that day outing with the school, I was going on the dragon. Uh, sorry, what was the Mindbuster? The one. Oh. That, yeah, I was going on it repeatedly, right? And yeah. uh, and I fought through it. And so yeah. um, that is kind of one of my biggest fears that I've yeah. I've I've, I've uh, conquered. Yeah. And oh I good, because I've got some big routes planned when we get. <laughs> <to the other laughs> <one. laughs> yeah. Although you know when I uh. when I've seen some uh, rock climbing videos and they're on some sheer thousand foot drops. It has me pausing, right? So I don't know. I, I, I really wonder how I would be. I, I, the only way to find out is try it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. See, and because Catherine's afraid of heights as well. Yeah. And, and I um, I noticed at the end of last year and even this year when we did the 400, 500, I was really nervous. I actually did my will. I'm oh, not kidding. Did you? I redid it. Well, hey, that's smart. It's smart. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Yeah. But um, I just don't look down. And I, I was nervous because oh, yeah. the rope management with three people, so you have two yeah. ropes, is like, Holy, this is fucked. Uh, <laughs> and listen, I had a I can't fall. And the fact that I was along for the ride, I had no complete understanding of what was going on. I'm just shut the fuck up and do what you said. Yeah, yeah. And he asked us, and we kind of got off route, so we had to go along that ledge. Yep. And normally I'd be shit in my pants. I'm like, just do it because I just want to go down. Anyway, you just kind of focus on the yeah. wall and what needs to be done. You're like, yeah. okay. At least that's how I yep. handle it. But okay. I was roped in, and I and I didn't care if I went for a swing. I'm like, oh, it'll be fun. You're yeah. always worried about me about that. Maybe it's worse than I think it is. <laughs> well, but it's, it's one of those things. It's for anybody who's top roping. Yeah, a swing is the only risk. Yep. Yeah. Right. But you're always worried about how. What if you go for a swing? I'm like, ah, that'll be fun. You know. Well, I'm more just running into the thing where where I'm just visualizing what the swing would be like. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it's like again, that's ignorance. Yep. Right. So <laughs> along the way, ledges. Yeah. Like my yeah. job is to make sure that yeah. you know, as a leader, is to make sure that you know, if you do say take a swing, you're safe. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there's times I say don't fall because. Don't fall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Did you have that with me on Cat in the Hat? No. No. Not so much. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, it was all good. Um, so. Well, really, it's more cases where I don't fall. Because gotcha. you guys are all top rope. So. Yeah, that makes me nervous. That's what? where I want to get mm. the skills, right? Yeah. So. And, and, and I think back to our point, when you know skills, yeah. when you practice, and when you're experienced, <laughs> your fear will go away. Yeah. Because you're confident. Right? Yeah, but then, then that means I'm going to make her lead, and then she'll be scared <laughs> shitless again. <laughs> He'll make me jump. <laughs> yeah. I made him jump on a lead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was but, like... Uh, because it, some of our fears are irrational. Sure. Right? And and, and they are created by our, our own uh, wild imagination. Yeah. And, uh, and and to that point, that there's this quote that I, I love, and it's by Napoleon Hill, and it, it simply goes like this. It goes, if you do not conquer self, you will be conquered by self. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, so I, may, I almost want to cry. <laughs> we, we, we are our worst enemies. Yeah. yeah. We no, are our worst enemies. It's true. It's yeah. true. Whereas I'm a big believer, like, just have that level of, well, I figured a whole bunch of other shit out in my life. I'll figure this out. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and one of the things, because when we started the podcast, like, uh, Catherine had the, uh, 
oh, and we got to do it. Da, 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 da. It's mm-hmm. like, no, listen, we've never done this before. We're going to suck. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, if you already go into it going, well, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm going to suck, but I'm still going to do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, now the fear of sucking has gone because you know you're going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and I would expect, like, if you listen to, you know, say our first episode, and then you listen to our 20th episode, uh, hopefully in something there's an improvement, yes. right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's that constant just trying to be, yeah. you're never going to be perfect, but just going, ah, oh, well, just, it could be a little better. I think just the fact that you're doing it, you w- there will always be an improvement. Right, because mm. things will get better, like um, the way you speak, uh, you know, the amount of time you, you you know you spend doing a podcast or whatever the case is, or the subject matter, right? Because you'll know you will just naturally improve. Um, how much you improve is is direct. I think directly correlated to how much attention you focus on improving it. But yeah. I think just naturally you will improve regardless of what yeah. you're doing. It's just like rock climbing, right? The more you do, yeah. you develop the the, the the tendons, the muscles, uh, the technique right and you'll just naturally get better but then if you want to get to a competition then you got to really kind of crank down the gear and, and just say okay yeah. let's focus on yeah. on you know this aspect but right? i think it's inspiring we're all like in our mid 40s late 40s whatever and we're doing what we love yeah yeah don't don't so don't i, think I don't think anyone should let age hold them back i mean no. unless we have you're ill or you've got a physical but even phys- we've I mean, f- people you who have adjust. physical handicap, people have done amazing things, right? Yeah. I think, like, again, it's just our mental block, right? Yeah. yeah um, well, and, and it, it's accepting, like, don't compare yourself. It's it's be, uh, being present. Yeah. Like, don't compare yourself to what you used to be able to do. Yeah. yeah. Or others. Yeah. Maybe others, yeah. You know, like, basically, the the thing is just focus on, am I a little better today than I was yesterday? Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's, it's incremental improvement. It's, uh, you know being present and not sort of, oh, but so-and-so is better. Of course. Like, all of the athletic things I've done, from racing bikes to, you know, you know, high school sports and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? There's always, like... Some genetic freaks who also train hard. <laughs> who da, da, da. Like, and you go, oh, I'm just a child compared to the, yeah. them. And but it doesn't mean I have any less fun doing it. I'm just not going to win. Yeah. If if it was only about being the best, right? Well, then none of us would climb because Adam Andra. Yeah. Right. Um, you always be depressed. Yeah. We, yeah. we Where, whereas I'm inspired by seeing people better that's, than me. See, that's the thing. We need to take people that we put on pedestals um, as inspiration not as means to compare ourselves to make ourselves more depressed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Um, if we do that, then we're never going to, never improving our lives or, or yeah. our mental state, right? Um, yeah. Use them to, to take your journey and, and make yourself better. Well, because one of the interesting things too, like if you talk to like a high-level climber, yeah, um, you know, somebody like Leslie Timms, uh, you know, she does first ascents and, you know, way stronger than I'll ever be. But the way she talks about her hard climbs is exactly the way we experience our high right. climbs. The numbers just different. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Well, I, I always think that the best feeling I've ever had is when I was rock climbing and I'm hanging on there with one arm. I'm nice. Like, fuck, this is easy. <laughs> 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 that is the best feeling. It honestly, you're like, fuck, I got some bo- upper body strength, and I'll just get nice. back on. So that's cool. Yeah. So listen. Um, social media is you're out there you're sharing what your story is mainly i'm on facebook so i've got a couple facebook page so the passion paddler is uh where i i've 
share of my paddling um, adventures, which I haven't been lately because I've been focused on the mountainside right now. But uh, I also have another one called the Passionate Peaker. Cool. Well, Dave, thanks for having us over. Um, good luck next week. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, like big mountains. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, it's the summertime and you're going to freeze your ass off. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I oh. remember what I was going to say before. Oh. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> so, as I was going on to say really quickly, um, since I've embarked on this new journey, yeah. um, I've been having fun with Les. And I, I love being a dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> we were on our trip in Utah. I never felt so... Like the whole uh, surrounding of being in a canyon, being dirty, felt, felt so familiar for yeah. such an unfamiliar place. Oh, anyway, cool. He's just looking at me with yeah. this. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> anyway. Exactly. But uh, yeah, thanks for having us over. This has been awesome. It was great uh, chatting with you guys. And, and yeah. So anyway. Work hard, play dirty. That's us. See you later. <laughs>